Come on, baseball fans, let's go down on the farm. We'll be checking out the sticks. Gonna be checking out the arms. Seeing who's throwing up some leather. Seeing who's got their stroke together. See the stars of tomorrow play today. Gonna be big fun, let's get on our way. Going down on the farm with Billy Mack and Ray. Welcome back, everybody, all you baseball fans out there. And as always, in particular, you Seattle Mariners baseball fans. Welcome to season one, episode seven of Down on the Farm. I'm Billy Mack. And I'm Ray Lana. And it's great to have you with us. We have completed our tour of the pitchers, Ray, in the system. And tell the folks where we're headed tonight. All right. We're going to start talking about uh, catchers. We're going to go right on to the next position, uh, kind of your field generals. Uh, they're the ones that kind of bring the game together for the for the catchers. They probably want spend more time in the film room than any other player on, on the field. And uh, it's going to be interesting. There's not a whole lot of them, but we're going to try to go in as in-depth as we can about all the guys that are there. we got some really big names, prospects that we're going to be bringing up for our organization in that position. And right off the top, we want to remind our folks that we are sponsored, as always, by Open Range Entertainment, purveyors of great entertainment across the entertainment spectrum, internet, film, television, radio. Uh, they had great success this uh, past season with uh, an association with Disney with a great show called Piney the Lonesome Pine. And we wish them continued success with all their projects. And we are delighted to be under their umbrella. And, uh, you know, as tonight as we move uh, to the catchers, uh, we in particular, we're going to dedicate tonight's show to number 10 in your program, number one in your hearts, Dave Valley. Tell Della fans once again about Dave, you and Dave Valley. All right. Well, first off, I've never met Dave Valley. I've always wanted to. I've just never done it. Uh, but when I was a kid and I went to uh, the games in the kingdom, I remember asking my folks, like, what does that sign mean out there? It was in the middle of the uh, out. And I think it was left center field. And uh, it said Dave's Valley. And I said, what does that mean? And my uncle's like, oh, well, that's for the catcher. His name is Dave Valley. So that's his valley. And he can hit the ball in there to be a home run. And at that point, all I cared about it baseball games was you know popcorn and peanuts and uh and sure enough dave came up that day he swung the bat and drove that ball right into his own valley and i stood up and cheered and he basically became my favorite mariner for a long period of time after that it was just a childhood memory i'll never forget oh that is just wonderful well there have been a lot of uh, stalwarts uh bob scrap iron stinson was the first catcher for the seattle mariners and he actually got that nickname because he was playing outfield in the minor leagues and literally ran through the outfield wall while making a catch. Really, just like the, uh, it might be a stunt like that in major one of the major league movies. Literally, the, the square outline of a big hole in the major league fence. I mean, pardon me, in the outfield fence. Uh, guys like Dan Wilson, one of the great heroes of the franchise, basically was the field general for some great Mariner teams. Bill Freehand, legendary Detroit Tiger. Uh, catcher was one of the color announcers for the early Seattle Mariners broadcast and a guy who I had some wonderful lunches with and could really tell some great baseball stories. Del Crandall, who was a, a big time uh, major league catcher for the Milwaukee Braves and Del Crandall had hands that were so big that it were, I, I once shook Evander Holyfield's hand and I swear to you, Ray, his fingers came halfway to my elbow. <laughs> And that's the kind of hands Del Crandall had a lot of major league catchers. They not only are they big guys in general, but the beating they take behind the plate, virtually everything, every part of their body is swollen for the rest of their lives. 
Yeah, that's uh, the one position that I never played in in baseball when I played baseball was catcher. It's tough to hunch down there and, you know, crouch down to get those balls. And, you know, basically the pit, the catcher, we get, all the pitchers get all the credit, but the catcher is the one calling the game. They're the ones that are saying, hey, now it's time for a fastball. Now it's time for a curveball. Place it here. And then they've also saved a lot of, you know, strikes. So you, they'll throw the ball and it might be slightly out of the strike zone, but if the pit, the catcher can frame it up just right, that's a called strike anyway. Amen. Well, when we talk about Dave Valley, Dave Valley is a guy who devoted his entire life to the game of baseball. He played 13 seasons in the major leagues, played uh, over 900 games, played with a number of different clubs. Most of his time, of course, with Seattle. But people forget that after he left the Mariners, he caught for the Boston Red Sox, the Milwaukee Brewers. Then he was in the uh, Texas Rangers system for the last couple of years of his career. And Dave also spent... 11 years in the minor leagues began at Bellingham in the Northwest league with Seattle in 1978 and uh, went through a number of uh, Seattle uh, franchises, minor league franchises that no longer exist. Alexandria, Louisiana, San Jose, Salt Lake city, Chattanooga, Calgary, which oddly enough later became a Florida Marlins farm club. I'm not sure how that ever happened, Uh, but Dave had some stellar years in the minor leagues and really never gave up. You know, he, he's really one of those guys who just never let the dream die. And he eventually uh, made it to the big leagues and played, had a stellar career, if you ask me. Yeah, that's actually kind of the story of a lot of the players that we, we're talking about right now. Like some of these guys have been in the minors for a long period of time, too. And, you know, they're just kind of still working and they can look up to a player like Dave from what his experience was and uh, kind of use that as a motivation, you know, like maybe it's not over, you know, I still got a shot at this. A a couple episodes ago, Billy, you were talking about, you know, sometimes these guys got to make a decision. Is it time to get a real job or can I keep playing baseball? Do I have a shot at this big league deal? Um, And, you know, some guys, Dave, I just remember like, he's, he's a great personality. Every time I see any interviews or I'm on TV with any, anything, he's, he's always got a lot to say. It's very intellectual. He's a smart guy, obviously. And that's one of the things you're going to find with all these catchers is that they're very intelligent and they got a lot of information, a lot of baseball IQ. I can tell you firsthand, uh, having known Dave for a long time, he is a wonderful man. I sang the national anthem countless times at the kingdom And Dave Valley was always the guy who, no matter what, would come over, say hello to me, say a couple of words, always uh, just before he he walked away, would say, tee it high and let it fly, Billy Mack. And he uh, is a generous man. He gives to the community. He's done countless hours of work for charities uh, across the Northwest, in particular, Rick Riz's incredible charity, Toys for Kids. And they ask anybody who has ever been around Dave or worked with him, He's a good man, and I'm delighted to to have had the privilege of knowing him. And, you know, Ray, we talk about what we'd give for one at bat. In the minor leagues, one at bat, what we'd give for. Dave Valley, over his career, had 5,803 at bats in professional baseball. So, I, you know, what he put his body through, the devotion he gave to the game, that he's carried it into his post-playing years, uh, I think he's a remarkable guy. Yeah, I just like to be able to even talk about him, you know, and just be a part of, you know, he's done so much for for the city of Seattle as well as the Seattle Mariners um, and for fans. Like for me, like when I was a kid, I didn't really care 
until I witnessed that moment. And then it just kind of was a catalyst for me to learn more, to be more excited, to uh, play baseball more, that kind of thing. And, you know, that's what it is. It's about the love of the game. And, you know, the money comes secondary uh, for these guys. And, you know, uh, the catcher is probably like you talk about like football and like the Iron Man positions, you know, like the offensive linemen that play for 20 years or the kicker that plays for 30, you know, um, catchers like they, they're it's one of the toughest positions in baseball uh it's so hard on their bodies and you know they're iron men these guys are stronger and last longer and are more durable than a lot of other athletes on the field well i i can only imagine that they lead the league in ibuprofen i would amen to that <laughs> i would think no about so let's talk about some of the uh young men who are coming up through the seattle mariners system right now and uh playing behind the plate and we'll start as we normally do at the AAA level with the Tacoma Rainiers. And as always, our best to uh, Michael and the gang down there at Tacoma. Josh Morgan, who will wear number 61 behind the plate. He hits right, throws right, 5'11", 185, stocky guy, 25 years old, born in 95 in Corona, California. Went to high school at Orange Lutheran in Orange, California. And Josh Morgan, I believe, is the only guy in the Seattle Mariners system to have played in the Australian Baseball League. If I said he was an Auckland Tuatara, that might not mean much to anybody, but it's kind of stuff you and I eat up. Yeah, I, I did not notice that actually when I was looking up his information. But uh, yeah, that's a, I always love little anecdotes and information that you're not going to get, you know, pretty much anywhere else. Only Billy Mack's going to throw that at you uh, as far as that type of information. Um, yeah, Josh Morgan, uh, like you said, he's a uh, 5'11", 185, 25 years old. He's young. Um, he was actually a pretty high draft pick. Um, came out of the third round in 2014 to Texas. Uh, he's played quite a few games um, in his minor league career. He's batted 280 with a 357 on base percentage, 19 home runs, and 20 stolen bases. You don't hear that stat for a catcher very often. Uh, he also plays shortstop. So this guy's kind of like your true utility player uh, even if he's not the starter on your team if he's at the major league level he can literally play any position on the infield which is very very good he's super intelligent he's very team orientated uh every time you see an interview with him he's always talking about the team every time you hear other players talk about him you know he's pumping up the team he's kind of a bullpen leader um and he's actually very humble uh his appearance and the way he carries himself it just he just seems like a very nice friendly, humble, intelligent man. And uh, he's got a lot of potential. Like he's, he kind of was thrown by the wayside, but at the same time, he's still got a lot of potential. And again, he's a shortstop playing catcher. And if he can hit the ball like that, I mean, we haven't had a catcher that can hit the ball like that in a very, very long time. So it'd be pretty cool to see a guy like him come up and, you know, have a shot at, you know, not maybe not as an everyday starter at first, but, you know, obviously with the Rainiers, he will be. And he's also played a little bit at third base. So there have been a number of catchers historically who have played third base as well. Uh, after playing in the Australian League and doing well, he eventually uh, became part of the Texas Rangers organization. He, he was assigned to them in uh, February of 2020, but he elected at the end of the 2020 season to declare free agency, to take free agency. And Jerry DePoto looked around and decided he wanted to give him a try. So uh, an, another Jerry DePoto pickup, another guy he scouted out. 
And by the way, Josh, I neglected to mention a while back that a tuatara, for our fans who are wondering, a tuatara is a creature native to New Zealand. It looks like a lizard, resembles one, but actually it's not. It's named, it comes from the Maori language, meaning peaks on its back and is considered a very special creature. So let's hope that bodes well for Josh Morgan and that he turns out to be a very special player in the Seattle Mariner system. Yeah, also, too, uh, you know, we kind of alluded to it, but there's not a whole lot of catchers in our organization in general. And, you know, so the the ability for these guys to be able to move around within the organization is actually very, very high. And uh, he's going to be starting with the AAA ball team over there in Tacoma. And I'm going to be able to see him on opening day on the 6th, which I'm really excited about. And, uh, you know, he's he's one of those guys that, you know, if he shows signs – He's, he's got potential to move move around and within the team and the organization. And I think that Josh is one of those guys that sees that opportunity when he looks at our team and our rosters that we have and who's starting where. And, you know, Jerry does great job so far of just finding these, these guys that maybe, you know, didn't get their opportunity or were stacked behind somebody and they're now going to get an opportunity to play in AAA ball, which is, you know, one step away. And, you know, I hope to see, hope to see his progression uh, moving forward. And another thing for fans to remember about catchers in particular, there's a, there was an R&B song, I think in the 80s, called You Don't Have to Be a Star, Baby, to Be in My Show. You don't have to be a star to, be a, a, to have a solid major league career as a catcher. Almost every team carries at least two catchers. Well, they all carry two catchers. Some carry three. Sometimes you're that guy who does most of the work in the bullpen. Sometimes you're that guy who maybe plays a couple dozen games a year. And in the case of a guy like Josh Morgan, you get another dozen games in the in of the year in a third base. You can actually fashion a, a solid major league career without having, you know, without being the, a Pudge Rodriguez kind of player. Yeah, exactly. When it comes to catcher, you know, the defense is more important than the offense. Uh, it's it's a it's a position in baseball that you will sacrifice a little bit of offense to get someone who's going to make those stops. Who's going to get in front of the ball, has ability to pick off a runner, and can call a game, um, and works well with pitchers. You know, rapport that these guys build with their pitchers is really like paramount to their success in the in the majors. Um, you know, if you if you get linked up with a certain pitcher and you're 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 catching well for him. You know, and that he moves up in the league, there's a good chance that you're going to have an opportunity to pitch or for have him to pitch for you or to you rather. And if you find that key to your swing that uh, we, you and I talk about, guys can find, and you become a Pod Rodriguez, you become a guy that can hit anywhere, like anywhere from 285 and above, and play catcher. Uh, you've got a future, a long future ahead of you in the major leagues. I it was privileged during the the Jim Lefevre years and shortly after that to know Matt Sinatra, who was a major league catcher, eventually became a bullpen coach. So uh, there's future when if you're a catcher, there's a future for you both in the game and after the game. So uh, that's why uh, we're hoping that a lot of these young men can not only stick it out in terms of the minor leagues, but stick it out in terms of, of understanding that if they want to create a future in the game, they can. Yeah, I mean, if you look at just the major leagues right now, like the best catcher in baseball is JT Real Muto, and you know he's only batting two eighty eight with two home runs. I mean, that's not a standout line for for a guy that you would be considered the best catcher in baseball. Um, although he is probably more consistent than a lot at the plate, uh, he does very good behind the plate as well. And uh, you know, Seattle—that's one of the positions. You know, we look at our outfield and the prospects that are there, and it's like, wow, we have so much talent in the outfield. Well, 
we need talent all over in order to be a contending team to possibly go on to the playoffs in the World Series. So uh, the progression of these guys is really, really important. And of course, working with all these pitchers that we just got done talking about for the last few weeks, you know, these guys, they have their favorite catcher as well. Uh, you know, like Felix loved pitching to uh, uh, to Zanino. And it was just something that he he just loved it. You know, Zanino called the game properly for him. And, you know, there's they're just amazing things that happen when you get a good good combination between a pitcher and a catcher. Well, speaking of guys with an incredible future, I think if you were, I believe we mentioned this on one of our early shows, if you were to ask me, name a, you know, the phrase they always use is a pick the click. Name a guy who's in our minor league system that you really think is going to have an impact in the future it would probably be the next guy we're going to talk about we're going down to the arkansas travelers to our double a affiliate a young man who was the nephew of a man who, of matt raleigh who spent a lot of times as a first baseman in the minor leagues our third uh, round overall pick number 90 in the 2018 gra- draft he's out of Cullowee, north carolina played in uh, had some great years playing for florida state university his name is cal raleigh Cal is six foot three, two fifteen. Uh, you know, has the look of a catcher. In 2019, we he was a non-roster invitee to spring training. I uh, was assigned to the Modesto Nuts. Went to the Everett Aqua Sox. Again, came to spring training in uh, 2020. Uh, with the season, he was assigned to Arkansas. The season was wiped out, and then. Uh, Interestingly enough, in November of this year, he decided to change his uniform number. I sure I have not been able to find out why, but he changed it to number twenty-nine, and that's a guy who's who's looking to change his luck a little. Who thinks there's good things in store for him, and uh, he is actually currently was assigned to the Mariners in January of this year, uh, but it's probably going to spend at least the first part of the season in Arkansas. Yeah, uh, Cal is one of those guys you can get excited about. I mean, he's he's got a lot of potential. He's he's the number one eleven or the number eleven prospect for all of Major League Baseball a catcher. Uh, that's a pretty big sign right there. Um, he's got power. Uh, he can hit home runs. He's belted thirty seven of them so far in his his career uh, with a two sixty average, which is phenomenal. Uh, he's a switch hitter. He can hit from either side of the plate, so he doesn't have to sit out for you know games based on that. You know, or or get pulled for matchups when he's in the middle of the game. Uh, kind of a jack of all trades. Uh, he's more of an offensive-minded player, as far as like what you'll see and your your eyes will see in the first uh, first time you watch him play a game. Uh, but he's a jack of all trades. He is actually working on all of his fielding. He's working on blocking the ball down. He's got a really good arm, so he can throw that arm all the way to second, uh, throw people out. He's he's a really versatile hitter. Like I was watching a lot of film on him hitting, and he can hit the ball anywhere he can hit it up third base up first base over the top of the infielders uh into the gaps like he's got he's a really really good batter uh he's also a very good uh, catcher in general but his catching skills are i believe just going to improve uh he's he's got the frame like you said six three two fifteen i mean he's a big man back there i mean he should be able to stop any ball flying that are going by him uh just based on that um and the one thing that you'll read about him if you if you read into his articles about about him and his gameplay is that he's a leader he's he's the guy that just kind of grabs the grabs people and puts them in the right position and and gives them the confidence by you know telling them what they need to do uh he studies the game very very well he's young and he's just super talented and he's like 
this is this is the catching prospect we're all looking at. Just like Billy said, he's the one that you know you're you know while we have he's not in the AAA organization, he's still the guy. And uh, I think that he's he's built a really good rapport with Kirby as well uh, through through their their time together. And I think that that's going to translate really well going to the majors because uh, George is going to be up in the majors and relatively soon. And I would expect Raleigh to maybe even surpass Josh to get up get up there. Well, I do like the fact, as you mentioned, that he hits to all fields. I'm one of those guys that when I see the shift come on, steam starts coming out of my ears when guys don't take, particularly when they try to pull a pitch on the outside part of the plate uh, and, you know, ended up end up hitting a weak ground ball to the, the, the shortstop of your left-handed hitter to, to whoever shifted over behind second base. So I'm excited about Cal's ability to hit to all fields. And I uh, would encourage the fans to go on YouTube and look at the video that Cal's got with his kid brother. And he shows a couple of catching drills that he does. One where he puts a line a couple of feet above the, the ground across a wall. And then he stands behind, he lets his little brother do it, do the catching, which is very cool. And he throws a ball and if the ball gets thrown above the line, whoever's catching tries to catch it. If it's thrown below the line, you try and block it. And it's just a great drill. It's an eye-opening drill for, you know, somebody like myself who has never actually played the position. And he just seems like a real, real nice guy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, he's very down to earth. He's very calm, collective when he's when he's in interviews. And I watched a lot of his batting. Uh, that's what I was mostly focusing on when I was watching his film. And man, like like I said, he just he just commands the plate well he watches the strike zone he he lets bad pitches by uh and this these are things that you know catchers aren't necessarily known for they're known for their defense uh and for their ability to you know call the game for the pitchers but he's kind of got he's more of an offensive minded like i said and i think that when his defense comes around to the level of his offense he's going to be a superstar and could it be possible that he, all these years after the pardon me i still choke on saying it the Jason Veritek trade that we could we could get ourselves a switch hitting catcher who could finally put that uh, put that ghost to rest in the Seattle Mariners system. And uh, Cal's going to be playing alongside another great young prospect, good good Catholic boy out of Notre Dame High School in Scottsdale, Arizona. Originally a thirtieth round pick of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he's been in the minor leagues for a little while. He's a right-handed. Hitter right throws right-handed, six foot one, one hundred and eighty pound, twenty-six year old Ryan Scott. And uh, as I say, Ryan was originally in the Dodgers organization. He was became a free agent in twenty nineteen. We signed him uh, later that year to a free agent contract and assigned him to Arkansas. Their uh, season, and once again, uh, we had to keep saying it, but was wiped out last year. And he'll begin this year again. Uh, a double a ball down in North little rock. Yeah. I like, I like Ryan a lot. Actually, Ryan is not, um, he's not, he's not a crazy batter, uh, but this man is a defensive minded master. Like if you could combine these two players together, you'd have, you'd have a starting uh, catcher in the majors for sure. Uh, he shifts very well behind the plate, meaning he's, he's able to slide his body to either side to block balls, to, to knock them down at least even when they're wild pitches, um, he's only batting a 162 average with the 276 on base percentage, which isn't too bad. Um, but he's a defensive prospect. I mean, this is this is kind of the guy that you're going to put into 
you know, in a big game situation where you can't have a ball pass or, or anything like that, no wild pitches going by. Um, but he's also uh, one of the things I noticed when I was watching him catch is that his framing of the pitch when he catches that ball that's just slightly outside or inside or up or down, he's able to like bring a glove back. You know, uh, Mike Zanino was really good with it with us uh, where he would frame the pitch, you know, it would be slightly outside. He'd still pull it back. And if the umpire wasn't watching close enough, they would assume that it was a strike. And I like that. Um, that's something that is instinctive for these guys. And I think that that's something that, you know, with these two working together and being in the same team, I think that there's a lot of stuff that can rub off for both of them. And uh, like having the, you know, a little bit more defensive minded for Cal and a little bit more offensive minded for Ryan, I think it's going to be something that both these players are going to actually grow from being together on the same team. And we, of course, don't know for sure, but sometimes a player's future lies with the organization he's with. Sometimes it lies with another organization. And the, But the better you get, the more value you have to the organization you're with. And that can always open up an opportunity with another club. Now, you and I, of course, want to see these young men flourish and eventually wind up in T-Mobile Park someday. But we also, uh, this show is a little bit, as well about the minor league life and what it means to be committed to the game, to enter it at the professional level, to commit yourself to what the discipline that it takes to become a major league player. And we want these young men to succeed uh, at whatever level they're at and wherever they move. So when I look at, uh, at Ryan's 0.509 OPS, the first thing I realize is that it's 0.509 higher than mine. So, so I salute him. And uh, once again, we could talk about guys finding the key, turning, you know, finding something, uh, the right hitting coach, the right situation. So you're right. Ryan Scott, Cal Raleigh looks like a great pairing down in Arkansas. For sure. For sure. And uh, I think, like I said, with the two of them together, I think they're going to, you know, hopefully be able to feed off each other. Hopefully they develop a really good relationship with each other so that they can kind of give each other pointers in different aspects. And I think that it can do nothing but benefit both their games. And you're right. It just takes a little bit of coaching and being open to that coaching and like listening to what they have to say. Cause you know, most of your coaches are, are previous major league players or, you know, at least, been in ex experienced with it for a very very long time so they can give a lot of information and insight to these young players now the guy who's going to be behind the plate i'm looking forward to going up in everett and seeing this young man play this year he's going to wear number 48 david schaefer as the catching prospect with the high a everett Aqu everett aqua Sox this year born in north carolina in 1995 he was originally drafted back in 2013 by the tampa bay rays 38th round overall he was out of uh North Surrey High School in Mount Airy, North Carolina. A kind of an unusual frame for a catcher, 6'2", 170. Uh, tall and lanky for a catcher, but there have been guys who have had that body frame and, and made it. And in 2019, after having a little uh, injury problems with us, we assigned him from Tacoma to West Virginia Power for rehab. He went to the Modesto Nuts, uh, was performed capably there. In uh, 2020, was temporarily assigned to the big league club, and just a couple of months ago was placed uh, with the Everett Aqua Sox to be their backstop. Yeah, uh, David. David's a, a a good acquisition for us, and uh, I, you know, you're right on his frame. It kind of baffles my mind. Uh, it's not your typical size and shape you'd see for a catcher. You know, you think of catchers, you think of short and stocky, uh, not necessarily tall and tall and thin. Um, 
he, he he's an offensive minded catcher. He's a, he's a guy that can go out and he can hit, he can hit the ball pretty well. Uh, he's got a two forty five career average with the four or 11 home runs. Um, he's got, he's got some stuff that he needs to work on, obviously, uh, you know, being in the lower, lower levels of the, of our, minor, of our minor league system, but he's worked his way up and he's can continue to grow as a player, which is something that we're all hoping to see. Well, you know, even you and I talk about this every week, even though this can be somewhat of a haze, the the teams we mentioned they've been with, their minor league stats, where they're born, where they're from, we're charting their progress through the organization. We, You know, it's going to be great as you and I get to see these guys alive. You'll see a lot of them at Tacoma this year. I'll probably see, since you'll be there, I'll probably be seeing more games at Everett, but I'll be down in Tacoma as well. I hope to make a a, a road trip down to Modesto. So uh, we're going to be charting their their progress and hopefully bring into the fans the stories of their successes as they mature and, and become better ballplayers. Yeah, it's going to be fun uh, all the way around. Uh, I don't think I've been ex- as excited as I am uh, about this year's minor league opening day um, in the past uh, six years with the Tacoma Rainiers. And this one is the one that I'm just like, I've been so excited about it. I've been excited before they delayed this season. And now it just knowing that I'm going to be working on opening day and, uh, and on that Thursday and Friday there, it's going to just be a wonderful thing to be able to get back in the park, have fans there, you know, and just be a part of the organization and watching what happens with the team. And, you know, for me, even, you know, as I do statistics a lot for the, for the Rainiers, it's, I don't know every single player in the league, but Oh man, it, it is with this podcast and just the stuff that I've been learning along the way, it has like expanded my horizons beyond what I'd ever thought I would know. I mean, I know like the most minuscule and minute detail on all these players (laughs) just by, you know, diving deep in the research. Well, and, you know, watching YouTube videos, watching high school pitching, watching, you know, uh, college ball and, you know, just kind of seeing every aspect of the game and, you know, just focusing, hyper-focusing on the single position. And it's been a lot of fun for me. And I hope that you guys enjoy it too while you listen to us that you can kind of hear what we say and then go watch it, you know, take your time and just go, just take a look and see what, see what David Schaefer has to offer, you know, and that, that type of thing. There's a lot of guys out there uh, and it just makes the game more fun that you can like BS with your buddies and you know, stuff that they don't know. And, you know, a lot of there's a lot of Mariners fans out there that know a lot about the Mariners and they know all about every trade and where these guys came from. But do they know as much as you do? You know, probably not if you're listening to this podcast. Well, the uh, one of the games we used to play when I was a season ticket holder during lulls in the game, pitching changes as such was you would name a player, Don Clendenin. Somebody had to jump up and pose as Don Clendenin at the at the plate. Don had a particular stance. He held his bat a little bit high, a little bit above the shoulder. And that's the kind of fans we are. We love finding out the, the quirky things, the little things that separate one player from another, make them memorable. And uh, you're going to see, we have mentioned this before, there are hundreds of games. There's going to be 400 games played within an hour's drive of Seattle this year. You're going to get, if you're a baseball fan, you are going to get to see more than your share at T-Mobile at Bunko Field in Everett and down at Cheney Stadium in Tacoma. And Ray, if you would, for just a second, take a moment before we hit our last prospect. Tell the fans a little more about what you do when you're with the, working with the Rainiers. So uh, I, I'm part of the broadcast team. We do the in-house broadcasting. Uh, basically, what we do is uh, we make 
the fans experience enjoyable. We give them all the information for the team and uh, for all the entertainment in between. Uh, we also run cameras on uh, the whole, we're basically recording and cutting an entire game broadcast. Uh, as far as what I do specifically, I run camera. I uh, I'm out on the field with the camera. I do audio. I've done like, you know, the walk up songs for all the players uh, and I've done cool. switching for, you know, the cameras and kind of directing the, the broadcast itself. Um, I've kind of found my home though, in the statistics section where, you know, you're, typing in what whether it was a six four three double play and it was a line drive to let right center field and you know who received the ball you know if there was a uh, pass ball or a wild pitch and you know determining if it was an error or not and it's just been a lot of fun uh you know i'm sitting in there and i'm listening to curto on the other side while he's doing his broadcast on air and that's pretty much where we get all of our information for you know in game as a, as we're as we're moving forward um i just really i interned with them when i was in college and uh you know, it's just something that I've kind of grown to love. And, you know, like I never want to stop this job. It's just so much fun to be out of the ballpark, have a great seat. I'm in a temperature controlled environment. So even those raining games, I, you know, I'm undercover and I have no problem with the, a rain delay here and there. Hey, when you're with a bunch of baseball fans, life is good, whether there's a rain delay or not. Let's hit our last prospect for the evening, the, the fifth catcher in the system, who will be playing down in Modesto this year in the Northern California League under the watchful eye of Denny Hawking. He's going to wear number 63, six foot, 200 pounds, solid 22 year old and homegrown uh, in the sense that he was one of our draft choices. 11th round, 336 pick overall in 2019 out of Concord, California, played for a great program, played for Fresno State, has uh, been through the West Virginia, originally signed to the Everett Aqua Sox, but went to, down to West Virginia to work on his game was a non-roster invitee in 2021 this year and assigned to the club and uh, they've assigned him. And remember, uh, given the limited number of our prospects in the system, that there's only five of them, it, the fact that he's assigned to the Modesto nuts uh, by no means means, oh, he's the, he was the last guy on the totem pole. It means that they think Jerry DePoto and his staff think that this is where he'll get the most work. And he's a California kid. Feel most of a lot of it is, feeling at home early, uh, feeling comfortable. Uh, you know, he's, so he'll be working down there in the Northern California league this week, this summer. Yeah, actually I, I like Carter a lot. I, there's a lot of footage available for him in YouTube, uh, from, from his time with, you know, his high school team and such in college. And, uh, you know, Carter is, uh, he's kind of the jack of all trades again. Uh, we had one earlier, but he's, he's also the same. He's more of a defensive catcher than offensive, but, uh, he shifts really well behind the plate. He's got a good arm to throw the ball, throw people out on the run. Uh, he's accurate with it, which is, you know, not just a, not just a cannon behind the plate, but he can actually throw it to a point, which is, you know, one of the most important things for picking off a, you know, a stolen a person trying to steal base is getting it down low so that they can catch the ball and make the tag instantaneously. Um, he has a lot of pop in his bat too. Like uh, he's, you know, he's got a 208 average throughout his uh, his short one-season career because 2020 was, you know, wiped out, of course. Uh, but he's got a high on-base percentage of almost four. And, you know, I think it's some, he's a guy that, like, you're right, he's he's going to get a lot of work down there in Modesto. 
and it's going to be a really good opportunity for him to show what he has. And, you know, a lot of these guys that get stuck, they don't get the chance to show their what, what kind of ability they have. They only get one game a week or two games a week. He's, he's going to be an everyday starter for him. So, I mean, you're going to get a, to see a lot of them. He's, the coaches and uh, the organization's going to see a lot of them. And, you know, he's one of those guys that if he's not moving up with our organization, I believe that, you know, he'll show enough to where he could be a valuable asset for us moving forward. My favorite Carter Ben stat was that in 2019, he had 32 hits, but scored 31 runs. So he was either one of the luckiest guy in the league or just had a knack for getting on base at the right time. Maybe the kind of guy they use that uh, phrase, keeping the line going with the Scott service and the, and the big club. Maybe he's just one of those guys that uh, is a timely hitter as well. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, I, I watched a couple of him like having walk off home runs and and things of that nature, three three run shots to to finish a game. He's you speak of like how they stand in the in the in the batter's box, and it's like a uh, like a combo of like a Jay Buner because he stands straight up, he gets his front leg back a little bit, and he kind of just rotates his hips as the ball's coming in. He's stepping into every pitch before he's swinging the bat. Um, it looks good. Uh, his elbows up high in the back, and you know he's he's swinging through the ball and his eyes on it the whole way. And uh, I think that I think that this is a pretty raw talent. You know, twenty two. Uh, it's not he's not been behind the mound or behind the plate for a long, long time in the majors or in the majors organization. Uh, but he's he's definitely a guy that shows promise. And uh, I think that I think that he's going to be kind of one of those guys that I kind of look at a lot. Um, I always get excited about the guys that are more deep sleepers that, you know, you don't think that are going to be able to make waves based on, you know, who's ahead of them for one, but um, also because they're just not that well known and they're young, but young talent can develop very, very quickly, which is another cool thing about watching these younger players because uh, they can grow very, very fast. Uh, they just need to hear the right thing. We, we say it all the time. Uh, it comes down to coaching and, just experience. Well, in the way catchers fill out bulk up, hit the, you know, the weight rooms, the facilities get better and better as you move through the organization. Uh, I can tell you how solid major league catchers are. Scott Bradley, who used to wear number nine for the Mariners, was our, our starting catcher for a couple of years. I was in a celebrity soccer game at the Tacoma Dome one night, and uh, you'd think my principal memory would be sneaking a goal past Mark Langston while he was playing goal, and I still give him <laughs> a hard time about that. But one of my principal, mem principal memories of that night was running into Scott Bradley at full speed because I ran right into Scott. Scott planted himself just before I, I ran into him. It was just an accident. But the next thing I remember is the lights on the ceiling of the Tacoma Dome because I was flat on my back. I hit Scott Bradley and I literally crumpled to the ground. Uh, these guys, uh, as they develop, become major league prospects uh, onto high, high level minor league and major league players. Uh, catchers really do develop throughout their careers, maybe as much as any position on the field, as you mentioned, uh, also in the mental aspect of the game as well. Yeah, uh, and that that's one of the things that will bring a player to the next level faster than anything is just developing their mind and like understanding the flow of the game and what their what their duties are and what their responsibilities are. And uh, these catchers, I said it before at the very beginning, but you know they do a lot more research than just about any other player on the field. So they they know the batters that they're facing. Um, a lot of them, especially if they've come up through the minor league systems, they've probably faced you know seen these guys against another one of their pitchers and been able to you know figure out ways to work around them. And I always find it interesting, like 
we always think about the battle between pitcher and batter. Well, that's pitcher and catcher versus batter uh, because they're working together, uh, trying to come up with the best solution Amen. to the strategy of of defeating or you know thwarting the batter from being able to get a base hit or you know by uh, baiting him into swinging at a certain pitch to hit into a grounder or something to that effect. And I think that you know like catchers are kind of like unsung heroes in baseball and uh they're some of the toughest guys there are and no joke uh you you say you know big stout strong scary guys like that's exactly who these guys are um they're the toughest guys on your team uh they're the guys that you know they're iron men they they i i kind of i know it's for player safety and i understand the rule for no charging charging the plate you know anymore but Man, that was one of the things when I was a kid, just watching, you know, somebody coming full steam ahead and the catcher standing there with the ball in his hands, ready to make the tag. And they just take a full, full charging, you know, uh, first baseman running right into him and then hold on to that ball and make that tag and get that out. And it's just, it's one of the most epic scenes in sports, in my opinion, is that, that, that rush to the home plate. And, you know, that's why the, that's why the catchers are your Ironman, man. They're, they're so tough back there. And it only takes one ask Dave Valley about uh, Dave Valley took a, a cheap shot in Milwaukee, that tore up his knee. Ray Fossey, the great Oakland A's catcher his career was never quite the same after Pete Rose charged into him in the all-star game. I think right around 1971. And then of course the Buster only incident a few years ago that led the, uh, uh, led the league major league baseball to change the rules basically uh, regarding, uh, but something I want to move on to here for just a second, Ray, because you and I are, are, you know, hardcore baseball fans and we started with pitchers and last week we referred to the catchers as being the guys you write in your scorecard as number two. And the reason that uh, for that is of course, because of the way positions are scored. And I thought for just a second, I always, and try to end the episode by throwing something at you that I always forgot to tell you I was going to throw at you. But, <laughs> but I'd like to take just a second to encourage, I'm sure most of our fans, if you're this deep into the minor leagues, you score games, you keep a scorecard, you know that pitchers are one, catchers are two, first baseman three, and so on and so forth. You know that the shortstop is number six. But talk to me about what it means to you about scoring in a game, because I want to encourage all of our listeners, if you don't make it a make a point of at least a couple of three times a year scoring a game. And and if I could encourage one other thing, teach your kids how to score the game. You want to teach your kids to love baseball. Scoring a game opens up an entirely new world to them. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I actually, when I was young, I never really scored the game. I was a stat junkie, but I was like batting averages, home runs, stolen bases, that kind of thing. Uh, but since I've grown up and I've actually started doing this, like I, I recently, when my when my uh, grandfather passed away, uh, I received a whole bunch of stuff from my great grandfather and my grandfather. And one of the things that I got was a whole stack of uh, of game day pamphlets from the New York Yankees back in the forties for my oh, great grandfather. And these were all like stat cards, you know, they, they were, they were, they were actually scoring the game and it's my grandfather, my great grandfather's handwriting on these cards. And he also had them autographed by random players. And I mean, they're talking like the Yankees back in those days as some of the most big names in baseball history. And uh, you know, so I, I look back at that and I go, I go, you know, that's, that's exactly what he was doing. And it's kind oh, of one of those things that like, stuff. 
I'm doing that same thing now. And it kind of brings us together. Like, even though we're not together and obviously can't be together, it just, you know, like his love for the game and my love for the game are, are synonymous with each other. So it's something that like, it's like a legacy type of thing. You teach your son how to do this, you know, and you're doing it at the game. It's something that brings you more into the game because some people find baseball boring and they do it because there's not much to do. Well, try scoring a game. It's pretty interesting and it can get kind of difficult at times. Is that a fielder's choice? Is that a, you know, is that a a sack fly? You know, that all these different things, you learn every finite detail of the game when you start scoring these games. And, you know, while I'm work for the Rainiers, I'm not required to keep a scorecard. I punch all the stats in and I keep a paper scorecard because it's a great reference. I have every single game that I work right there next to me on a clipboard and it's just fun to, have that to look back on because you know anytime i don't have to bring up the dactronic stat caster and you know pull up you know what what happened on july 3rd you know i can actually just pull up and like flip through the 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 scorecards and pull up everything i got all the information of the game what happened who was subbed in at this time you know what what was the pitching line what was the what was the batting line who was the mvp of the game you know that you know to your in your opinion and uh I think scoring baseball is one of those things that's like it's a it's a pure hobby. It's super fun. You can do it at home while you watch a baseball Absolutely. game. Absolutely. And I think it's something you can pass on to your children and it's you know it's analog. Everybody lives in this digital world and I think that doing this analog kind of brings the purity of the game back to people that don't see it on a regular basis. There were only a couple of heartbreaks associated with my writing the biography of Dave Niehaus, my oh my the Dave Niehaus story. And one of them was that it had been my intention from the beginning to publish Dave's scorecards. Uh, The Niehaus family was kind enough to let me take home a couple of his season score, you know, his books from when he scored the games during the season. And to me, it's such an insight into into how professional broadcasters work and everybody has their own ways of scoring. Um, And I used to talk to Dave all the time about how he filled out his scorecard, how he kept, uh, um, for instance, when a a player has an RBI, I I fill in a little diamond on one corner of that particular square, a rectangle in in the scorecard. A lot of guys, when a guy hits a single, they'll not only put a one there, but they will put a little squiggle, for instance, or, or a hard line to remind themselves that it was either a a parachute job or a blue darter, as as we always used to say. So you're right. Teach your sons, teach your daughters, teach your children that song, teach your children. Well, you really give them a gift. Uh, And here's one you can give them. Uh, One of my favorites, uh, when there's a double play ball hit to the shortstop, he gives a relay throw to the second baseman who promptly throws it two feet over the first baseman's head and into the second row of the stands at six to four to S which means six to four to seats. <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly how it's scored, but I'll <laughs> let you go with that one. Uh, definitely a possibility, but um, no, and you're right. It's, it's, it's a unique thing that you can like kind of show. I, I like it because it is personal. Like the way I fill out my scorecard is different than other people's fill out their scorecard. I've had mm-hmm. n- numerous people tell me how to fill out a scorecard and the basics of it. It's all the same, but like you said, like when it's an RBI, like I'm writing RBI on the line as they get, say they get a double, I'm 
because it's double and I'm writing RBI on that corner right there. Cool. Uh, if they get taken out of the fielder's choice, you know, I'm marking an X on that same scorecard right there and, and showing that he was he was taken out advancing and then the other person got on base and it's not considered a hit. So it's a squiggly line going up there. You know, it's just it's everybody's little little key and how they look at it. And I can glance at my scorecard and know what happened for nine innings of baseball for any one player. Like it just very, very quickly, uh, just by looking at the diamonds that I've, that I have there from one to nine and beyond. And when you get one of those special seven to five to two to six to two to five to two kind of plays where it takes five relay throws to throw a guy out. Uh, that's a joy because you will at some point look back on that scorecard, remember that night, remember that play. Uh, I have a scorecard from, I think, 1979, 78. Carlos Lopez, young, uh, out of the Mexican leagues, is playing right field for the Seattle Mariners. Ray, I'm telling you, remember the old Kingdome had about 24 rows before the walkway. Yeah. Carlos on the fly threw the ball from the warning track in right field into the 22nd row above third base. <laughs> and I still have the scorecard. I still laugh every time I see it. One of the craziest throws I ever saw watching Major League Baseball. So uh, we just I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about scoring. And uh, for those of us who may have let it slip away from us a little, encourage all our fellow fans to, to do it once in a while. Yeah, exactly. I it, I think it's probably one of the most fun ways to watch baseball because you're you're like ultra intent on seeing everything that happens in the game. Um, your focus isn't shifted at all. You know, you're you may be eating a pretzel in between innings, but you're still trying to make sure you get that last out recorded so you know exactly how it occurred. Um, it's just it's just a fun way to engage yourself in the sport of baseball in general, and it's also a fun way to be able to look back on it, like you were saying, and just think if you're running a scorecard on Felix's perfect game or something like that. Oh. Like that's something you can post on your oh. you can frame that thing and you can put it on your wall. I mean, big things, big moments happen in baseball. Baseball history happens daily, and uh, you can you can kind of be a part of it by you being the one that's scoring that card at that time and you can always always tell the guy who's scoring because he's leaning one way with his hot dog and his scorecards on his lap the other way because the, <laughs> la the last thing you want to do is get ketchup or mustard across that scorecard now this leads us to something here this is a community we're trying to establish here and we love hearing from you fans i'm on twitter at dotf billy and i'm at dotf ray and we are together at info, I-N-F-O, info at D-O-T-F, down on the forum, dot live, L-I-V-E. So you can go to D-O, at D-O-T-F, Ray, at D-O-T-F, Billy, or info at D-O-T-F, D-O-T-F, dot live. Send us something about your scorecard. Take a picture of it. Send us an email. Let us know something interesting you do with the scorecard. And we'll pass it along with one of our, in one of our episodes because what I'd like to kind of make this a running theme throughout the year is you let us know some of the quirky things you do to keep track of the game. Yeah, I think it'll be really fun to you know just have some uh, listener feedback as far as what you do, how what makes your baseball experience your baseball experience. Hey, because a, a baseball experience is different for every single person. Um, you know, I'm doing one thing, Billy's doing another, and you're probably doing something else. And you know, I think that just like learning about these other experiences will not only you know 
be fun to like figure out what you're doing, but it will also like encourage us to try out new things too, because, you know, I'm kind of stuck in the ways that I do when I watch a baseball game, I have my routine. I, you know, I'm, I definitely put mustard on my brand new Jersey every single year on the very first game of the season. I mean, cool. it's a guarantee no matter what. Um, and it never comes out, but I wear it with honor because, you know, that's just part of my baseball experience. And, you know, everybody's day at the ballpark's a little bit different, but those skull cards, you can do them from home. And it's like, it's super fun. You buy a, buy a book. It has like hundreds of pages in it. You know, I think it has 160 pages in it. So you can do a whole season of baseball and you can record every little detail. Uh, put little tabs on the ones that are really exciting and you can go back and, you know, compare them with your friends and, you know, just have a good time talking about that game. And, you know, nothing blows my mind more than when I have, uh, when I talk to somebody and they can tell me about little details, like, like, like you were just saying, when he threw, threw it up into, you know, the, the stands up there. I mean, those little things are kind of like little idiosyncrasies of baseball that you, you know, you hold on to, you cherish those moments and you were a part of it. So you can, ex- you can explain it to other people and make it, make it uh, a story and more fun for other people to listen about baseball. I never tell them, but when I'm in the radio booth and I have to have that brief moment in between innings and I'm standing in between Rick Riz and Dave Sims, I'm looking at their scorecards while I'm talking to them, sneaking glances because Dave Sims has a bunch of multicolored pens, for instance, he brings every game. Rick has different things he does. Uh, and, and you learn just by watching the pros and that wisdom that we pass on to each other, we eventually pass on to our children, our friends and our children. And that's why the game is still the great game that it's been for decades and now for well over a century. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I will give one piece of advice for all of you guys just getting started with scoring. Um, use a pencil with an eraser. Because there's going <laughs> to yes. be moments where, you know, you're going you're gonna to swear it was a, you know, uh, a routine out or you're going to say, oh, that was definitely an error. And it's going to come back and it's not an error. And it happens all the time. Uh, there's official scores in baseball that will supersede your calls and what you see and even supersede what you see on the field. Uh, so have an eraser handy because it will come in handy. Uh, the only piece of wisdom I'll pass on is if it's a day game after a night game, never have a hot dog before the fifth inning because you're likely to be getting reheats from the night before. <laughs> Good information, Billy. That's, <laughs> That's definitely a, a, very important. Once again, it's been a delight here. Gosh, the weeks are going by so uh, just so wonderfully. It's season one, episode seven tonight, as we've explored the catchers in the Seattle Mariners system. Next week, we start with the infielders. Uh, we were going to limit it to first baseman, but there really aren't many guys in the system who are specifically assigned to first base. So we're going to start working our way around the infield throughout the uh, Seattle minor league system. And Ray, I'm looking forward to it as always. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, this is this is a lot of people's bread and butter where they want to hear information about these players. They want to hear about, uh, you know, who's going to be on first, who's going to be on second. I, that reminds me of an old joke. Huh? Um, but uh, yeah, the, 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 we're going to get into these guys that are, you know, they're going to be the ones swinging the bat and, you know, everyone loves to chicks dig the long ball, I believe is what you said last week. Uh, and that's a, that's a definite fact. And, you know, as far as like, just, just being able to like learn about the players that are going to be moving all around. And like, like you said, there's only one, I think one, one first baseman listed in our entire minor league system. And obviously there's going to be a few more playing first base. So there's going to be a lot of utility players that are bouncing around. And we're going to talk about that and about, where they can play and what they can do. And for those of you who weren't listening last week, as a uh, songwriter and a fan of correct copyright information, Glavin and Maddox were duly credited with coming up with Chick Stig the Long Ball. So 
Great to have you with us once again this week. We're going to see you next week. Once again, we want to thank the folks with Open Range Entertainment, purveyors of great quality entertainment for families everywhere across the entertainment spectrum, radio, television, uh, cable, streaming. Uh, Make sure you check out their products. They're just doing great. And we want to thank the folks over there for being our sponsors. Once again, I'm Billy Mack. And I'm Ray Lana. And we will see you next week down Down on on the the farm. farm. Go in.